Bruce Larson, UPC's senior pastor from 1980 to 1990, passed away on December 15th. In honor of him, we're posting several of his sermons from his years at UPC. A beloved pastor and friend, Reverend Larson impacted countless lives, and his legacy of books and sermons will continue to share his wisdom and love. Now from his word in the New Testament, you will follow with me Mark 2, beginning at verse 23. Hear the word of the Lord. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God when Abiathar was high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, may the words of my mouth that we've read about in Proverbs be sweet and pleasant and bold and hard and clear and exciting to each of us as your spirit works with us in our unconscious, our conscious, our total being. Have your way with us now, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Before I begin to preach, I want to confess a rotten thing I did last Friday night in Toronto. I had the privilege of being invited there by the Archbishop of the Anglican Diocese of Toronto to launch a three-year emphasis on evangelism for the Episcopal Church. Some 260 churches involved in this, a $1 million budget, a three-year emphasis on evangelism. They were going to vote on it the night that night after I spoke this last Friday. And uh, they asked me to speak about evangelism and the mission of the church. That was my assigned topic. Well, I got up, and I, the first thing I said was that I am very uneasy when any group of Christians decides to have an emphasis on evangelism. I said, if you are looking for a New Testament strategy for evangelism, uh, to see what the book says about how this all began, I said, there never was an emphasis on evangelism in the New Testament. There was no committee assigned to do evangelism. There were no calling teams that went out to call on prospective members. I had no department. I said, no emphasis. I said, in the New Testament, it's apparent that evangelism is normal, it's natural, it's spontaneous, it's even fun. I said, the key is if the gospel is good news and not bad news. Remember in the 19th chapter of Acts? where Paul meets a group of Christians, new Christians, he says, oh, he senses something is missing. He says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, no, didn't know there was such a spirit. All we've heard about is John's uh, baptism. Well, John went around saying, God knows what you're doing, and you better quit, and you better shape up before it's too late. Now, that's God's truth, but it's not good news. <laughs> and John was faithful to the message God gave him to deliver. 
But Jesus came saying, listen, I know what you've done. I'm going to pay the price. You're home free. You are loved, redeemed, forgiven. Therefore, go into all the world. I said, if you are preaching, if you are living and preaching John's gospel, who wants to go to your neighbors and say, look out, you rotten people. You better shape up. But if you can say, listen, I know the plans I have for you, plans of welfare and not calamity to give you a hope. That's what God says. I said, it's spontaneous, it's natural, it's fun, it's easy. You don't have to have a three-year emphasis. I said, you wouldn't want to urge and have a special emphasis on sex for newlyweds, would you? They don't need it. I said, and for your first graders going to school, you wouldn't have an emphasis on play at recess and say, now, kids, please, when recess comes, won't you please go out and play? I said, so when you have an emphasis, I said, there's something all wrong in this place. Now, obviously, I failed because they took a unanimous vote to, to begin the three-year emphasis after I spoke. <laughs> but I said, you know, it says in the New Testament, God added daily those who were being saved. No plan, no program. I said, in, in the congregation to which I belong in Seattle, one of the best things we did was to cancel and kill our department of evangelism. Because when a department's responsible for something, nobody else is. Those ten people do it. I said, in our church, we read our Bible. It says you're a royal priesthood. Everybody's called to be a priest. Everybody. Therefore, there's no department that can do the job for me or you. So we walk around and we just talk about our faith to people and God adds daily. I said, you wouldn't believe all the wonderful folks that are meeting the Lord. I said, without a department or a special emphasis. So I was bragging about you and I said, you know, at UPC, I said, we are serious about being a New Testament church, as I know you are here as Anglicans in Toronto. You're serious. But I said, let me, let me say something. It's not just enough to try to go back and read the Bible and recapture New Testament doctrine and New Testament theology and New Testament teaching, we need to understand New Testament strategy. Very, very important. Our scripture this morning presents a powerful theological truth. Jesus says, wait a minute. Man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. And there have been volumes written on that over the years, volumes on that one simple declaration of Jesus. Now, that's profound. But listen, the key to understanding this is where was this delivered and how? Bear in mind, Jesus did not say this in a classroom nor from a pulpit. It was not part of a lecture nor part of a sermon. He was going along with his disciples, eating some grain, and the Pharisee says, hey, wait a minute. And in this dialogue, in this life-changing conversation, he reveals one of the most powerful truths from the mind of God. Our topic then is, for today, is the beginning of a series that will have that as the theme, life-changing conversations. And we'll stay much this year. Uh, we'll be in Daniel and in some prayer sermons, but mainly we're going to be in, in, the, the, in the four Gospels examining Jesus' strategy. Jesus was a master of life-changing conversations. His communication was, it was the norm for his communication. Now, yes, there was the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, from time to time, he was in a synagogue preaching. But those seem to be rarer times than just going along, eating, stopping, drinking water, visiting, and talking to people. And when God was among us, he chose conversation as the primary means of communication, not sermons and not lectures and not classes. That's profound. You see, Jesus understood the, 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 the dynamic 
of life-changing conversations, the potential there. This is why we still have that, those dreadful things called cocktail parties, uh, where you go, and most of us are bored stiff, but you go, uh, what? or coffee hours, or open houses where people mingle. We go because we hope we're going to meet someone who will take five minutes and we will learn something or become something. Something will happen in those five minutes that will change your life forever and ever. Life-changing conversations. Now, you think about with me, if you will, about your life-changing conversations. First of all, think about the significant people in your life, the people whom God sent to you, and because of them, you're different. You're not who you are. Somebody came along at some time and was used by God to give you hope or courage or brought you to faith in the Lord or, or helped you find your gifts or believed in you. Now, think about it. We've all had those people. Most of us have had those people who have been sent by God. Now, the thing is, when did this exchange take place between you and this person sent by God? Was it a lecture that you heard? Did you go to his classroom or hear her in the pulpit? Or was it somebody at work, a neighbor, a friend, who simply took time and as you talk, you said, Oh, I see it all. Or, of course, why, yes, I could do that. Or, you know, something. And uh, that's why, you see, that most of us don't need to have lectures. Now, when I do a workshop, as I did a week ago Saturday for the Lake Burien Presbyterian Church at Buck Creek, I gave three lectures for their annual church conference retreat. And as I began my first lecture here, were 180 glorious Presbyterian saints, all with their notebooks open. I said, do me a favor, will you all close your notebooks? And some breathed a sigh of relief, and some got very tense because they love notes. I said, listen, I'm not saying that because I believe that what I have to say to you is not important. If I didn't think what I have to say to you is from God and important, I wouldn't waste your time or my time. But the good news is God's not going to give you a test on what you learn today. But most of you here belong to him, and most of us grow by fits and starts and by plateaus. Most of us have come to a plateau, many plateaus, and there's a membrane. You can't seem to get through it. You're stuck in your marriage, your job, your faith, something. And then all of a sudden, along comes uh, God and slips into you a word. Try this door, and you do it. You know, Gil, and the thing, the door opens, and you go through it. And a whole bunch of new problems begin, see? But you go through the door. I said, now... God has a particular word for each of us at this retreat. I said, now, it may come from something I say, something your neighbor in your small group says. It may be during worship, a hymn, something. But if you're busy writing down everything, you're going to miss the one thing that will be God's liberating word for you. You see, so conversations are much more geared to you and me hearing the particular thing that I need right now. So we need to understand that professional talks need to become much more conversational. And the really gifted doctors put their medicine aside and really talk with their patients. The gifted pastors like we have on our staff, most of them, uh, <laughs> don't talk theological. They talk as people to people. And lawyers, I know some of you lawyers who really are friends to your clients. You talk about the pain. And principals of school shouldn't pontificate when this poor buzzard comes into your place there. You know, treat him like you would your own son or daughter. And we need to be, be people, psychiatrists, counselors, employers. You see, when you pontificate, when you lecture, you've kind of lost your crowd. When you begin to be somebody in dialogue like Jesus did, things change. I learned in Toronto from friends of mine. I asked about uh, a certain friend. He said, oh, he's doing a fantastic job. He runs this enormous factory. 
And they're so successful. Canada's having a hard time right now economically, but this factory is booming. They said, you know what he does? Every day he brings a brown bag lunch, the, the, the president of the factory, of the, of the corporation. Every day he walks out in the plant, finds a different group to say, could I have lunch with As they sit and I have their lunch. And the president sits there and says, how are things going? I remember when I worked here. And they talk. He said, you wouldn't believe the morale, what he's learning about the company. He's not behind the board saying, now this. He's there dialoguing, very much like the Pope, right? who goes through Canada blessing children, old people, talking, you know, modeling something. It's like when the president walks among the employees. Yay for the Pope, right? It's the Jesus style. Now, Jesus was the master of life-changing conversations. Today, we rely on hired counselors to do most of our work, which is tragic. You know, I'm always embarrassed that any of you ever have to call my beloved secretary to say, can I see Bruce? I wish it were not so. Uh, can you believe Jesus never had a secretary? <laughs> Nobody had to say, uh, could I sign up for an appointment? They simply got where he was having lunch or walking, interrupted him, and he stopped and they talked. And I have much more fun at the door on Sundays when people go by in two minutes or five minutes. We have life-changing dialogue. Someone saying, I'm in pain, would you pray? What about this? And we talk. But to say, I want a formal hour, we sit down, there's something that doesn't always feel good about that. Jesus understood the spontaneous, the kairos moment, the moment of opportunity, that when people interrupt, it's usually God's appointment. Now, uh, I think of one of our, many of you have this gift that I know, but I uh, flew down to Dave Stark's ordination last Sunday afternoon with, with Steve Hayner. And Steve said, you should have seen Don Dybert, he said, on our Scotland trip. He said, that guy is a master of the unplanned, spontaneous conversation. He said, for example, we're sitting in Edinburgh having breakfast. And you know, in Scotland, nobody goes to church. He said, we're sitting there, and uh, Don says to our waiter, we're going to St. Giles to worship this morning where, you know, John Knox preached. And the waiter says, I don't go to church. He said, well, would you mind coming along and interpreting what these people in Scottish are saying to us? And would you be a, you know, he begins to get, get this guy to help them and so on. He said, Don's a master of, of the thing Jesus did. He said, later on, he said, Don organized uh, uh, two parties where he took our Chinese guests who just left the city now, our, our artisans. He took them to a rodeo, two different rodeos. Now, they don't speak any English, and Don doesn't speak much Chinese, but think of what they must have been doing during the rodeo there, see, of talking to each other. The unplanned, the spontaneous, and this is exactly, it beats counseling, friends. And when psychiatrists and lawyers and preachers know this, they've got an edge. But you who are not professionals have an edge on the rest. We have to unlearn what we've learned. Now, the series this year is going to deal with this whole area. How did Jesus do this, these life-changing conversations? We're going to learn something about his, not a technique, but his openness, but also about the doctrine of man. Who are we? What are you like when you are in the presence of God? Suppose today you sat down and there was Jesus physically next to you. You could grab him by the necktie and, you know, and he couldn't get away. For an hour you had him. What would you talk about to him? Would you say, I've got this theological problem? Or talk about life and pain and hope and your kid or your mother-in-law or your job or something? See, what do people talk about when they're in God's presence? We're going to find out this year. But think about Jesus in the, in the, in the scriptures. Gal by the well, a prostitute, the despised woman, sits down there by accident next to him. He's tired. Disciples say, we're going to town, find a Jewish deli. We'll bring you back a pastrami. You wait here and rest. A gal comes along, and there they sit. 
give me a drink, yeah, and back and forth. And in that life-changing conversation, she is transformed and the whole town is transformed by an accidental conversation. Or Zacchaeus, up a tree, this wealthy man despised, a, a quistling in your older language of, you know, people betray their, their country. And Jesus says, would you come down? He comes down, they go to his home, the normal place for uh, life-changing places. And while he's serving these 13 people a meal, whatever the conversation was, he says, wow, who needs all this money? And he's free of his money. He becomes a new being because he simply has a meal with someone. No lecture, no sermon. The demoniac. Psychiatrist had failed on this poor man. And he runs to Jesus and says, leave me alone. That's called ambivalence. And Jesus says, what's your name? Well, he said, that's interesting. You should ask. I've got many names. My wife says I'm this and my kids and my boss and my mother. You know, all these names. And they talk about that. The end, hour, two, three. Who can say how long? He is now clothed in his right mind and sitting at the feet of Jesus, a well man, because of an unplanned conversation. Or Jesus would check their values and say, listen, fellas, who do people out there say that I am? Oh, I said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're a lot, you know. Well, who do you say that I am? Well, then came the real thing. What do you understand? So all this was done by way of conversation. The gal caught in adultery, remember her? Just to simply, uh, there she was, and Jesus said, well, let's talk about your present condition. And we, we don't know what happened, but it was a dynamic time. But uh, can you believe that the Lord's Prayer did not come in a seminar Jesus had on prayer? Listen, think about that. What happened? He's off praying. Disciples say, we pray all the time, but you pray more. Why are you always off praying? Well, it's important. It's fun. Well, they said finally one day, what do you say when you go and talk to your father? He says, well, try this, our father who art in heaven. A throwaway kind of thing to a bunch of people saying, what do you do when you pray? Not a seminar, not a sermon, not a lecture, simply telling people who asked him a question because his lifestyle was so intriguing. Okay, very little of Jesus' teaching is formal. Occasionally he gets up on a mountain and talks to 5,000 people, but not normally. Mostly he spoke with and not to. A sermon you see, you speak to. When you're one-to-one, -one, you speak with, there's dialogue, hopefully. Now, Ministry, then, is doing the thing that Jesus did. He says, not just about his healing, but he says, These things that I do shall ye do also, because I go to the Father, I'll send my spirit, and, and greater things. So ministry is doing what he did, which is engaging with people you meet along the way, unplanned, in life-changing conversations. Believe in the Holy Spirit about whom we profess faith in the Apostles' Creed this morning. Believe there's a Holy Spirit that when you are open, to someone else who interrupts you or is beside you or is in your work, neighborhood, family. Believe the Spirit. There's a triangle, a three-dimensional uh, relationship, and, and the Spirit begins to work in uh, the hearts of both of you. Now, I want to give you some guidelines for how the Spirit might use you that Ray Moore and Betsy Weaver and I came up with for our workshop a few months ago on life-changing conversations. Just to give you some idea. First of all, believe in the other person. Now, that's hard for some of us. I mean, believe that Jesus Christ died for this person. They are of worth, even if they are a put-down artist or a crashing bore or wanting to use you. Now, I love to think of myself as being the master of the put-down. You know, if someone's going to get to me, I'm going to get there first. I love what happened to Charles Lawton, famous, you remember, actor, who was invited to the home of a, fam a famous concert pianist for dinner. 
And before dinner, uh, his host says, well, he says, while you're here, he said, good friend, I want my two children who are in a play at school to put on one act for you right now. So they play out the parts. When they're done, Lawton says, oh, he said, seeing your children here makes me wish I had two kids of my own. And the host was touched and he says, oh, he said, really? He said, yes, because if I did, I'd bring him over here to give you a piano recital. <laughs> I see, I would love to have said that, but don't do that. Or the gal who was being harassed at work, true story, you know, and a guy's trying to, you know, buzz her and, and he says, why don't we some night after work go to my place and play games? And she said, well, what kind of game? He said, like post office. He said, oh, it's a kid's game. Why don't we play something more mature like building and loan? He says, what's building and loan? You leave the building and leave me alone, you know. <laughs> See, I would love to have said that to somebody, but don't. That person is putting you down, that bore, believe in their worth. If you believe in them, you know, something is communicated. Jesus had this capacity. He was not a put-down artist. Secondly, talk so people will listen. Try and say something about them, something interesting, ask a question, but talk so people will listen. Try to get around the defenses of someone. Uh, I love this, the story of one of the senators asked Will Rogers to the White House to meet the president when Calvin Coolidge was president. Now, you know, silent Cal never smiles. So in a way, the senator says now, he says, Will, don't expect Calvin Coolidge to smile. And Will Rogers says, I'll make him smile. So when they get to the White House, the senator says, uh, uh, Will Rogers, this is uh, President Coolidge. And Will reaches out to take his hand. He says, I didn't get the name. <laughs> and the president smiled. <laughs> But find ways. If you've got a non-smiling boss or a non-smiling neighbor, you know, try to find a way to do an end run and say, I'm going to make that sucker smile or, or open up. <laughs> Third, most important, listen so people will talk. What you say is lesson. I'm sure that when Jesus and Zacchaeus were together, Jesus didn't say very much. He was simply unconditioned love, sitting in the home of this despised man, just receiving. And Zacchaeus said more and more and more. And the more he said, the better it got, the worse it got, the money went out the window, his future, his reputation, kind of, you know, strange things happen, Gil, when you begin to, in the presence of unconditioned love. But, but the point is, listen so people will talk. Turnier, Dr. Paul Turnier, whom you were with, Ray, in our whole reformed uh, tour this summer, you know, he says, I have no plan to catch people. He said, I don't try to fish for people. I, he said, who wants to be caught? He said, I simply sit there and listen, and I, I have my line in the, in the water with no hook on it, and the fish come by because they know they won't be caught, and sometimes people accept the Lord in my presence. I'm always amazed and thrilled, but I'm just there, available, listening, most powerful thing in the world to be God's person when somebody else is in trouble, and you listen and see what happens to them. And fourth, be interruptible. My wife will nod on that one because I'm often not, but be interruptible. Remember, it's dialogue. Sermons, are, what I do is a monologue on Sundays. Terrible. Much better dialogue where we can talk to each other. So try to be somebody that when you're in the middle of your best story and someone says, oh, that reminds me, listen to them and you will knock their socks off them. Five, don't be defensive when people are criticizing you in, in dialogue. One of my favorite people in this church told me about three weeks ago of someone who came to her, some member of the church, and, and just laid her out in lavender for something she was not doing right. And she was kind of in tears, and she said, you know, what really hurt most of all was they were right. Everything, my enemy criticized me, and everything he said was right. I thought, boy, I wish I were like her, that when my enemy criticized me, I can say, you know, I don't like you, but what you're saying, I'll take that to heart. See, people who are not defensive are incredibly open and free people. And six, ask questions. 
uh, be interested. Ask questions that show that you're aware of the dynamics. You know, not probing questions, not, not nosy ones, but ones that say, well, now tell me. True story about a lady who was dying, and this is out in frontier days. And her preacher was there to kind of give her last rites, as Protestants might do. And as this lady was dying, she had six kids. The minister said to her, he said, now I want to ask you a question. He said, you're about to die. And he said, what do you think is going to happen when your husband marries somebody else and brings in somebody else in here to raise your kids? What's going to happen to him? She got out of the sick bed. She told the preacher off, and she got well and died 40 years later. <laughs> the thought was unthinkable that somebody would raise her kids wrong. But see, don't shame people. Ask them questions. Jesus was always asking questions. And stay in the now. Stay in the... Don't go into history. How they got in this mess, if they're telling you, is not important. Gal caught in adultery, we said, comes to Jesus. They, they throw her at his feet, and he says, listen, never mind how you got here. Your mom didn't love you. You made a wrong... Right now, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Begin right now. You know, it's never too late to be redeemed and change your life. Forget... History is not all that important. And finally, don't push your advice on people. Don't tell them where they're. Don't tell them how to live their life. Let them struggle with that themselves. Be there and ask them. What do you think God is saying to you right now? Ask them questions and say things that will make them think. Like a friend of mine is a fellow preacher said he was at a cocktail party where there was a man who had too much to drink that was there, but uh, uh, who was a his, his wife was a, was a member of this man's church, and the man said to the pastor, his wife's pastor, he said, "You know why I'm going to church?" I says, "No." Didn't really want to know. He said, no. He said, well, I've, I've been twice in my life. He said, the first time they threw water on me. Second time they hitched me to that woman, and I've been supporting her ever since. And the preacher said, well, I suppose the third time they'll throw dirt on you. <laughs> that's not advice. That's a fact, you know, but think about it. Well, our session last year on their retreat unanimously affirmed the fact that the bottom line for this or any church, God's bottom line, is not programs for evangelism, programs for a mission. We are a church that the bottom line is people. People infiltrating every level of society with life-changing conversations. You go out, 3,000 of us go out now this week from these two worship services and three tonight, and we go to every business and bank and manufacturing place and school and neighborhood, and there we are, God's people, engaging people in interesting, fun, natural, life-changing conversations. That's what God's calling us to be in.